Good morning. We're a complete stranger here. That's good to be a stranger. <laughs> Have the freedom to do what you want to do. John told me that you can preach up to 1 p.m., so I take him by his word. Well, it's going to be, uh, well, uh, they say the picture worth a thousand words. So let me take you to my slide, and in that way you'll be familiar with us. That will be the best way of introducing ourselves, and then from there we'll switch to preaching the word. Uh, that's our family. Almost 30 years ago, me and my wife, we got married, hoping that as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. God's been good. He blessed us with three wonderful children. John, my brother. <laughs> he's the, he was at Moody for seven years. He was back years ago, and now he's helping us in our church as one of our associate pastor and taking care of Christian camping and a small Bible school and a Christian school so are involved in multifaceted ministry. And Cheryl was here at Cedarville for the past five years. He did his BBMB and now she's back working for the Samaritan Purse as one of their field rep in South Asia with their program called Operation Christmas Child. And then Shira, uh, now Kezia is the one who's just sang. So she's at Shiraville doing her second year. And right, it's me and my wife. So let's move on. <laughs> Our ministry, church planting, Christian schools and Bible college camping and retreat center, caring for widows and orphans. Let's go ahead. And... Two and a half years ago, we started this church. We had been uh, in a church setting and working with a group of churches for almost 30 years, but the Lord signaled us to start another church without ministry, without borders and boundaries. And this is not a church building, but this is the present church building that we took, almost, let's say, a little over two weeks to build something like this, simple. And let's move on. And these are the worshiper. It's a long slide, so better move fast, brother. Sorry for that. <laughs> and this is your camp's center. The Lord gave us a wonderful piece of property. And these are the happy campers. And then this is a pastoral outreach training school whereby we train young people in a very formal setting like Jesus School. <laughs> These kids are from Burma and India. We live in the southern part, no, northeastern part of India. And let's move on. And we are also involved in orphanages because the country needs care for the orphans and the widows. Some of them, I think a couple one in Burma and even one in Kathmandu, Nepal. And we are also involved with Christian day school, small enough, but over the past year, my wife has been involved heavily. At one point, she has almost 900 kids. And now she's starting over again with two schools, I'll call small, but with all of those two schools combined, she has around 400 kids. 
And these are chapel hours for the kids, and let's move on. And I'm here with a mission and with a purpose. You may have read in the newspaper that Manipur is burning, and I'll tell you more in detail. So there is the map and the hill section, the red section is where the Christian people live. They call it the hill people because that how the British divide. And the white section is where the majority Hindus live. So they account for more than 50% of the population. A little lesser than 40 something is the hill tribe. Embracing Christianity over the past 100 years, but now there is ethnic violence some type of genocide that the valley people are using the state force. The government is helping them and now there is war. So Manipur is burning, there is battle, there is bunker, there is blood. So let's move on. And that's people fled for safety. They had to be evacuated. And church vandalized. In one day, they burned on more than 100 churches, and now the number is increasing. So till that, they may have destroyed or vandalized partly or fully burned down over 300 churches now. And these are the churches that they burned. We cannot have all the picture, and this is how they did. And the casualty as of today, they are almost 200 killed now. This is the latest, not the latest one, and then a lot of people injured and a lot of people still unburied. As I said, over 300 church burned and over 200 less burned down, over 7,000 houses destroyed and more than 50 people, 50,000 people displaced. Okay, let's move on. And this is a dummy coffins because when they kill those people, we are not able to claim their dead bodies. It's still lying somewhere or in the mock. So more than 150 people are still remain unburied. So this is the way how we remember them. And it's over 100 year, days now. This is what the village look like. Deserted villages full of fencing. And there's a bunkers everywhere. And we had the privilege of preaching to the displaced people. Now, most of the school in our small town is converted into a relief center. And kids are not going to school over 100 days now. So, and special moment with the displaced kids. There are all kinds of kids. They are not going to school. That's how we somehow reach them out and ministering to the sick. I think that's my way. She's not a nurse, but she has to do something. <laughs> By God's grace, we're able to provide some relief materials like rice or essential, like medicine or whatever we can. So this is the distribution team, and then we can go to the centers. And this is how the hills and the valley divide. That's okay. So. When you say the hill, this side, there's the bunker that with my way took the picture. And over there you can see the valley. That's where the, so the battle is between these two, valley and hill, Christian and Hindu, unfortunately. This is me and my son on the front line. We are able to visit some of the bunkers and pray for the guards or whoever volunteer is there. 
And these are caring teams, distributing, distributing relief items or praying for them. And this is one of our pastors who survived, like when they are shooting, he was shot, the one with, uh, right there. The bullet hits and pierced to the bones, and now the bones are dislocated, dislocated, and even after all these days, he's not able to walk. And he's also one of our pastors who had an arrow escape, and he fled to Delhi. Somehow he survived. Okay, pray for us, please help us. Now you can switch this off and then we can go to God's word and I'll tell you more. Thank you, that's who we are. And glad enough, we have some kind of connection with our dear brother, Dev Calver, a long time friend for past 20 years now, or 23 years. He came to India way back in 2000 with a group of men. We are still very primitive that time. And then I was able to have some doctoral class at Clark Submit for some time. And then over the years, our friendship grew. And then I also had friendship with uh, Pastor Dev Warren and all. He also was able to come up and minister to our people a few years ago. That's why we are here this morning. Thank you for the connection. Thank you for the Flexibility, I know that it was a very short notice that I requested him if I can get a church to speak as we are here representing these people, the suffering chains in India, and then bringing our daughter Kezia to school. So it's good to be with you. That's, uh, let's go to Luke chapter 10 or 11. I would say it's 11. Luke chapter 11, reading from verse 5 onward. Luke chapter 11, then he said to them, suppose one of you had a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friends, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot go up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because of he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Shall we pray? Our Father, we worship you. May we go home in deep adoration of you, worshiping you and obeying you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I stand here with mixed emotion, thinking and remembering home. I don't know what's the next day hold for. It's life of uncertainty. We live just five miles from the boundary lines and the battle where they fight. And we are counting the dead by each passing day. But here, the land of the free, land of prosperity in some way, 
It's good to worship the Lord with you. But my heart is heavy. In some way, I want to challenge you from God's word. I know this chapter is all about prayer because our Lord Jesus Christ believed in prayer and he practiced prayer and he exhorted us to pray. I'll take that illustration or that parable and trying to make it appropriate within the framework of, or the context of what we are facing right now. As I look into this, first I see relationship which work. And then I see requests that is necessary. And then I also see respond that we need to take and accept. Our Lord teach, taught, preach as no man preach or taught. He spoke with authority. And oftentimes he offended his audience. We'll call it stupidity, audacity, root, obnoxious, or ill manner, not polite, culture. But he has the power, he has the wisdom, he has the authority to do what he needs to do and what he wants to do and to do what he's pleased to do. So as I look at this parable, parables are simply, I would say, oddly story with heavenly meanings. They illustrate, they clearly teach us not how we like it or how we want it, but how he likes it or how he wants it. And he forced the truth into us. Amidst the teaching on prayer now to illustrate and to drive the truths home, he picked up this parable and he talks about relationship. It's all about friend, friend, friend. Who's your friend, by the way? <laughs> it might be difficult to define a friend. In other parable, the Lord Jesus Christ talking about the Samaritan is a who is your neighbor? That's also another striking story, which I would like to preach, but I don't have time for that. Or if you are willing, <laughs> we can do it in God's, in Jesus' way. Or Paul's way, preaching the whole night, I can preach the whole day. <laughs> no, I'll behave. I'll remind myself with my watch. Who is your neighbor or who is your friend? That's a big question. In a word that is, I would say, dictated by selfishness, privacy, my comfort, my comfort zone. It's hard to really describe and know who is our neighbors or who is our friends. Now, as I said, everything is based on relationship. 
God is a relational God. That's right, we believe in the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in perfect relationship, harmony. And everything we need to learn from them, we just observe by how they live together. Now here is a story. First, here's a friend, and here's another friend, and knocking the door at midnight for his friend. They said, your enemy, enemy is what? Your brother? Come on, help me. Your enemy, enemy is, is your friend. Then your friend's friend is what? Your? <laughs> That's up to you. I'm just throwing a puzzle. <laughs> Still a friend. Now, basing on this, as I look at the relationship that Jesus used, looking at this relationship first, it also helped me to see the culture of that day. It's a biblical culture. We cannot say it's outdated. It's something like this. In those days, they don't have all the supermarket, all the food store. They don't store anything. It's living hand to mouth. And they're content. The farm days. <laughs> and many of the countries I visit with or minister are like that. What do you have for the day? That's okay. Next day, you can get it from somewhere. And now at the middle of the night, the friend arrives, knocking at the door. It breaks the law of privacy, courtesy. You don't call me up, you don't text me. But in those days, they don't have all these text messages. They don't have the font. There is no way. But they are free to do that. And I love those days. I'm not that old, but I live between two cultures and two worlds. I grew up, I was born in India. Raised in India, part of my younger days, and then privileged enough to come over here and get my education, and then able to visit with. So I call there are all kinds of intentional or unintentional stupidity, audacity, as I to try to bridge these two cultures. Sometimes it's very funny, or you may call it stupid but I call it spiritual and scriptural to do those because I have the scriptural authority to explain some way or somehow. So as I look at those culture and those days, I see the relationship between friends, the bonds that they have, that if he doesn't have enough, then he can go to his neighbor or to his friend and ask for something, regardless of what time of the day or... So, looking at the relationship, and I also look at the timing, it's midnight. At midnight, everything was dead and dark, still and silent. No more time for business. Go to bed. 
But here, here's a friend coming and knocking the door. Love enough? Martin Luther Jr. or Martin the King or how do you describe him? Uh, just read one of his sermons. And he talks about something that which I really appreciate. That fighting for the freedom of humanity, fraternity, brotherhood. He really mean it. He poured out his soul. So, we are approaching, not only approaching leaving the last day, which the Bible called perilous time, that is characterized by selfishness, that man would be lover of self than lover of God, lover of pleasure, when everything is about us, I, we, are mine. Now with this friend, coming to his friend and knocking at the door. And the time, it's midnight. And if I'm a little bit prophetic or eschatological with my point, yes, we are living the last day and this is midnight. Isaiah the prophet asked, Watchman, what time is the night? You go in us. So, time and time, we need to remind ourselves, what is the time now? We are living in the last day that everything becomes so dark, morally, politically. Everything is dark. So, because of this, the devil is operating in his full force. You talk about civil war. I'm not even 60. But growing up, that my grandma would share with me the war or the civil war, the barbaric, the uncivilized war that people kill each other, cut their head, burn their houses. It was scary. In 1993, there was war in an area between two tribes like the Hutus and the Tutsis in Rwanda. And in 1997, there's another civil war right in my town. And then after 20-something years, now we are facing another civil war. And I say, I'm born at the wrong time, at the wrong place. But I challenge myself for such a time like this, God is calling me and calling us to be his witness. Here in the United States, you have the freedom, but you are not appreciating it. And sometimes I share with my friends, I wish the same persecution or civil war hit your country so that the church will be awakened. <laughs> not my wish. But God is sovereign, he can do anything. So with that kind of history that we have, as I look at this, with the timings, the dark, the dark night, 
when everything becomes so dark politically, morally, religiously, and we li are living in the post-Christian era. And my only hope is the hope that our Lord Jesus Christ will soon return and usher that glory, hope, righteousness. But until then, we have no choice to be faithful, serving the Lord. So this is where I am. The timing and now. The request is this. A friend maybe was led, or I don't know, with all the culture involved, it might be too hot to travel during the daytime, so he waited till it's cooled down. Or might be he was waylaid and some kind of accidents or difficulty happened along the way, but he was way too late at the middle of the night. He was knocking, he was hungry, he was weary, he was weak. And if I try to visualize and try to spiritualize or even make it as a real story, Here's a friend, now here's his friend, and now he's knocking on behalf of the other friends that he never knew. And he said, well, I'm coming, knocking the door. And this is the story. With my sanctified imagination, maybe I can look a little bit more broader and say that what could be the reason behind this man his persistency he is a man with a mission knocking the door and he's not asking for something and he is also as I said hungry weak and weary because he was traveling the whole day he needs shelter. He needs food. Asking for food. And very specific as to what he asks. Give me three loves or loan me three loves. That's why I mentioned Martin Luther said that he specialized a little bit and the three loves he stand for. The Christian characteristic that we have is hope, faith, and love. The permanence. I like it. At this point, what I need is hope. Amidst all the suffering, amidst all the killing, I have hope in God. And faith, yes, need to move forward by faith. And the most important thing is love. And as I search my heart, what are the three loves that I'm asking this morning? Or what are the three loves that you need? Okay, you can put your own things. I cannot invent that for you. But going back to the story, is the man is in need. He need help. He need hope. He need love. He need attention. He needs care. And now he's asking. He's helpless and knocking at the door. That's why. To minister in India and different parts of the world, it's another story. But again, I said, taking Jesus as my role model, my master, 
investing so much in the life of the people and if we're to follow the life and the footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ, he really had no privacy for him. The only time he had privacy is his prayer time and that also he chose to redeem it and buy it. When everybody else was sleeping, he will quietly slip away and then he would be somewhere in the garden or in the mountain alone praying and praying and praying. Sometimes they don't have time for food. In that way, he was pursued. He was busy. But not even a single time he complained. So in ministry, and as we try to minister to our own culture, I am talking about mine, but here, the pastor also have their own pressures, difficulty, demands. And I know it's increasingly becoming more difficult to minister in this country as a stranger. If you come to India, you can have people anytime. You can have church service anytime. But now as I knock to some of the church, the door, oh, we don't have meeting on Sunday evening. We don't longer have Wednesday prayer meeting. All that you have is Sunday morning. Well, the COVID has changed the world. I know that people are get used to it and then gets to use to it because it suits their own timing and schedule. That's bad. In one way, that's bad. And if I say that it's bad, if I'm your pastor here, you'll fire me, but I'm not your pastor. Let me say what I want to say. <laughs> but that is scriptural. <laughs> so as I look into this, the knocking, not at the right time, not appropriate, not polite, but the need is there. The request is that, friend, give me the law. As I have shown you in the picture, these are your Christian brothers. They embrace Christian Christ for the past hundred years, and they're doing their best. And that part of the country where I live, I begin to love it. It's a small state, but very beautiful. And we are sending out missionaries by hundreds and thousands now. But I don't know why God allowed all this to happen that the churches are suffering, the churches are burning, people are displaced. It's horrific and too graphic to narrate some of those. At the middle of the night, as peaceful as it could be, you are sleeping, and then you hear gunshot, da -da 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 -da. and you never know. And you don't have a minute to pack your things. You have to flee. Flat. Everything left behind, and the next day or during the daytime, they will come, loot your house, get anything they want, and then they burn down the place. And some of these poor villagers, they have to hit. They, they have to hide in the forest maybe two days, three days, until health comes from outside. And some even, some babies were even born during that time. And some all paralyzed and helpless has to be transported and evacuated. And there are all kinds of stories after story that which I'm not able to tell this morning. But in Hebrew chapter 13, verse 3, it says, Remember those who are in bond. 
Remember those who are in prison. Remember those who are persecuted. And as our Christian brothers and friends, we have responsibility. And as I narrate this story, some of pure and innocent girls, they have been violated, stripped, paraded naked by mob, then gang rape and kill. Some of the men beheaded, tortured, cut out the limbs, and this still happening. And the government remains a silent spectator just because that this is a government that sponsored the state government, the fact that they both believe in their Hindu ideology, India, one nation, one religion, that's Hindu. So it seems that there's no room for Christ and there's no room for his follower in this world. It's okay. That's how it works. It's true even here. It's getting darker. It's midnight. But we have a mission. With all of this, sometimes I cried. When we visit the mission field, oh no, the displaced people, they told us it's been months that they don't drink tea or sugar. And I just received a message from one of my friends. I said, I visit another relief center because we have over 100 relief centers in a small town. And some are in the remote in the corner and say that it's been months after months they don't eat meat. Meat in India or that kind of people is a special treat. <laughs> so when I look at all of this, oh God, what's happening or not? So here's my humble request. Lend me three loves. And my mind travels everywhere. It's biblical, as I said, to be hospitable is biblical. To care for the stranger is biblical. To care for the widows and the orphan is biblical. And that's the core of our Christianity. Zems, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, the pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is to visit the widows and the orphans in the days of distress. And in God's economy in the Old Testament, God always has provision in his program that when they ever harvest the field, they should leave something behind for the stranger and for the orphans and for the widows. God is very much into that. God is a compassionate God. God is a faithful God. God always cares for the poor. And now, the fact that you live in a country, you may complain, but there's no way to complain. You want to look at the world in its full form of poverty, you go to Rwanda, you go to Haiti, you go to India, you go to some other place. Then we'll begin to appreciate what we have. Contentment is the key now. And with that of the contentment, the request is that, can you lend me three loaves? God, in his program, wisdom and provision, has orchestrated or he has prearranged everything. Joseph in Egypt. And then the famine for more than seven years for the whole. 
And then his brothers came to fetch food. I look at Joseph. The position that he held. And the program that he has. And ultimately and gradually, people from both sides, even the stranger, the Egyptian, and his brother, sister, and all his father house would say that you saved our life. Because he is willing to share what he has. His wisdom and the food that he accumulated over the years. At this juncture, I believe churches in America can still do more. I know you have been doing for years after years, but we can still do more. And then these people will say, you save our life. I'm talking about the physical food. I also emphasize on the spiritual food. People are starving spiritually. As I visit some of the relief center, it will be a house full like this, it could be up to 200, 300. And I said, anyone who want to get right with God or anyone who know who Jesus Christ is to be your personal savior, and I asked them, would please raise your hand. I'm surprised even so-called grown-up people are still raising up their hands. That's why I convinced myself we don't have enough pastor, preacher to preach the true gospel. When our worship becomes just a ceremonial or a system and people are just content but not really knowing the basic simple truth about salvation. It's everywhere. Your neighbors, everywhere in the shop, they are not working with God. They are not having Christ. So the true love is our Lord Jesus Christ. The bread from heaven. The word needed. We are here to feed them. We are Christ's hand. You receive freely and you distribute freely. So hand in hand, the physical need and the spiritual need, we are just a steward. It's in our hand. It's our duty to give it, to distribute. With that, here's the request now. When I talk about these suffering churches, even if the worst stopped today, our goal is to visit a couple of churches and go back, but things are not yet improving. Innocent blessed are still attacked. Schools are not properly functioning. We may extend our stay for another month. We'll be going to church, churches. We're going to some friends. And our goal is that we need church like your to help. We are not asking help us permanently, but we'd like to introduce some sort of program. And now, I'm very impressed with Jesus' story again, the feeding of the 5,000 or 4,000, and this is a real story. And the truth can be as simple as it is. How much it takes to feed the crowd. Not a millionaire, not a businessman, or not a big church. Just a small boy with five love and two fishes, but sacrificial enough. Selfless enough. Willing to purge with what he has. And put it in the hand of Christ. 
and that can perform miracle. I believe this story ought not to be a story of the Bible time. This can be our story. We can do it over and over and over again. I don't know how many Cedarville students are here or professors are here. They might not be here. I was a student here in the early 90s. And when I look at Food West, I say, whoa. Oh, whenever I go to a store or spend money or to a restaurant, I have the tendency to convert that money into dollar. And I said, well, the food that I spend can feed a family for at least two days or three days. Or the ways that I see. They say that somebody trust can be somebody, someone else treasure. And I don't know why all this imbalance or currency situation that your dollar is at least 80 times stronger in India or 100 times stronger in Nepal or Burma. And I used to challenge it. If you can give one dollar a month, well, a school something like 4,000, just one dollar a month, we can start another school. With 500 kids can get free tuition. I'm speaking this out of experience because we are heavily involved in children ministry because we believe it pays. It's a good investment. So in all of this, as I look at the kids, five lobes and two faces, and when they're asking, Philip say, oh, and you say, 5,000 people, where can we get the food? And Jesus said, you feed them. Jesus knew what supposed to do, but he is willing to partner with them, invest in them, and also give them the privilege of enjoying the blessing from God. That's what we tend to forget and always miss it. You can put back the smile of a broken widow or a broken or helpless kid. Just a little bit of that. And now with all the mathematics and calculation, yes, what that five over two phases would be. But once it's in the hand of Jesus, he multiplied, he blessed it. And he said, you distribute. And everyone had enough what they can eat and they are left over. So, Talking about the tree love, lend me tree love. I have a friend who is in need. Now, who could be that friend before I conclude it? You never know him. It is not his duty to know. It is, his duty is just to lend over the love. You may not see this gang rape woman, or you may never see face to face the one who lost her husband or lost her kids or the one who is injured or those hungry people. But if willing to part with the three loves in your hand, I don't know what that love could be. A little bit of compassion, a little bit of love, a little bit of willingness to go the extra mile. Yes, we can do it together. For such a time like this, I believe your church is the future. The world is becoming so small, and I often challenge my people and churches over here. 
Let's learn something from the business and corporate world. A few years ago, we were starting a church in Delhi. And then we found out the business wars are still ahead of us. For us, starting a church in Delhi means leaving our rural area of place and going to the big city and starting a church. It's out of our comfort zone. But we found that their corporate were already doing the job. And during the night, they are working, and then the client would be somewhere from U.S. or Canada. And I say, what is the reason behind it? What's the logic and what's the secret behind this? And I came to this country and found out that, well, business are moving out to Mexico or business are moving out to India because they can get cheap labor there. And they are doing it. And they did it well. All what I want to say is that if people going for money, going for fame, are willing to go that extent and mile, it's all about friendship circle. It's all about relationship. It's all about partnership. I have been promoting this for the past 20 years with a little bit of success, but it could be more successful if church like you gets the vision. Every time I went into a church, I look at the missionary displayed. And I say, do you have missionary in Asia, China, or India? If they don't have, I say, well, why not start praying about it? Believe it or not, India has crossed. China, in terms of population, India alone has 1 billion plus now, 1.4 something. Slight margin between China and India, neck to neck, but China has all kind of control measure, and now India has come up. So if evangelism, evangelism is all about people, if God is for people, I believe God's heart is still in India and God's heart is still in China. No matter the persecution or no matter the opposition, you cannot just ignore it. Oh, we cannot go there. And what we promote is that, yeah, you cannot come, but we can go. We are in India. You can partner with us. It's exciting. It's economical. It's effective by the simple fact and illustrate that the corporate war is doing, when the corporate war hire an intelligent guy here, the package is here, but it takes only a couple hundred dollars to support a missionary in India or China or Burma. And then the nationals speak the language, they know the culture, they adapt with the culture, the country, and from day when they're starting the church, it pays off. I'm not saying that you should not get involved with us, you should not share a missionary, you should still send. But alongside of that, let us also consider partnering with the national and thereby we'll be able to hit every part of the world where God is still working. So these are the challenges and my heart is heavy with that. And finally, would you respond? Would you please respond? Would you please obey? Let me tell you, yeah, he has it. But the only thing, the obstacle and the opposition or the objection is that I'm already in bed. My kids are 
sleeping. My wife sleeping. In those days, the culture or the home maybe is just one bedroom. And with all the animals behind it, and the animal let loose, and it can be a mess. But Jesus said, he may not give him because he is his friend. But there is something more. But because of his persistency, stupid audacity, ignorance, you call it, or shamelessness, you call it, we call it thick skin. <laughs> because he persists. He kept knocking. He proved to be rude. And he couldn't handle anymore. Unless I wake up and give him, he's going to bother me. And he have his way. Sometimes we need a bold preacher, a foolish preacher like me, a stupid preacher like me to come and tell what needs to be done. <laughs> I'm teasing, but we need to be a little bit bold. We need to be a little bit of persistency, intentional, that will not be caught up with the culture. It wouldn't be too soft to do ministry because suffering Christ involves always a tough man, willing to suffer, willing to be persecuted. That man, I appreciate him. Only because he is pleading and knocking on behalf of his friend who is in need. But the man inside did not know who that guy is. And this is our role. And together, I believe, if you respond and if we are faithful, the Lord is ready to harvest. Or the, the Lord of harvest is ready to bless us. As I conclude, let me say this. Would you pray for us as I have in a slide? Pray that the Lord will give us the courage to stand for the truth, the courage to fight what is evil, to speak the truth, nothing but the truth. That is the truth about the gospel. Nobody likes the gospel these days. Take the cross. Not an ashamed of the cross like the Apostle Paul. I am ready. I'm not ashamed. I'm a debtor. For one reason. Because Christ paid the penalty of my sin. Freely he gave me and freely I have to give it away. I'm a debtor. Obligated to pay back. And I'm ready. That's the call of the hours. I am ready. No matter what it takes. Let persecution wait for me. Let the bone and the chain wait for me. I am ready. So with that, pray for us. We'll be willing to give the bread of life to this hopeless and lifeless Christian or lifeless Hindu or atheist. No matter where we go. And also pray that peace will be restored the sooner the better. Because without education, where this younger generation would go? So we need peace. Pray that the leaders of the world would intervene. India seems to be very good 
to the outside world. I am talking about the leaders. But inward, inside, they're corrupted. They're bad. They don't like Christ. And I even dream. In a town where they can burn 100 churches in one day. What the church is waiting for? Would God intervene? Or in that process is going to purge the church and becoming more bold and holy and then willing to go the extra mile? I don't know. Pray that we'll be willing to go. And then on a partnership time, start seriously praying for us. At the end of the meeting, my wife will have some prayer card for all our family. And in the cards, if you want to be updated with what's going on, and if you want to get involved and willing to part with a couple loaves or a few dollars to adopt this poor, suffering Christian pastor who lost their home, Christian family who lost their house, yes, we can get connection. Now, my friend Dave Warren, or Pastor David, or my beloved sister Carolyn, the Calvary will be willing to help. Church, like you can step up. That's right. We are here. So this is my humble appeal. Thank you so much. Let me be a little bit polite. Not like the one who knocked the door. <laughs> or shall I preach until you give me your offerings? No. Thank you. I hope this will help. It opens my eye and it should open your eyes. And this is, after all, the Lord's family. It's not about us, it's about him. And again, I remind you from Hebrew chapter 13, verse 3. Remember those who are in bond. Remember those who are persecuted. Remember those who are suffering. And this is what the Holy Spirit wants us to. And if we remember them, we need to respond with love and compassion. May God bless you. Thank you very much.